Do you own a small firm? Or if you don't own a firm, would you like to start one? Paget gives firm owners all the benefits of owning a small firm, plus the backing, playbook, and confidence that comes with being backed by a large firm. Stay tuned to hear more about Paget later in the episode. If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. Hello again, everybody. It's Annie and Roger. We're back for another Federal Tax Update podcast. And uh, Annie, how you been doing? I'm doing good. It's getting to that time of year where past October 15th or 16th deadline. Whatever it was. Pushing into, yeah. pushing into year-end stuff. And before you know it, we'll be talking about tax season again. But but doing good. Yeah, doing good. well, yeah, we just finished, I guess, wrapped up the end of the 2023 season. And we're going to jump around, catch up some things that you may have missed mm-hmm. while you were heads down and doing returns and Probably it's kind of unfortunate. We're going to talk about what to start getting ready for for the next tax season, which will That's be here right. before you know it. Because there's they're kind of running into each other now. There's not that feeling. I know, and of, there were so so many extensions with all the disaster areas. So I feel bad. There's probably a lot of people who are still cranking out returns. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even think about that. That yeah, if you were in one mm-hmm. of the disaster, and there's a lot more of them. It seems like that. I think yeah, you're still doing returns potentially, and then you'll have to turn right around and start thinking about 23 returns in 24. Which yeah, I don't know. It seemed like there used to be an end to tax seasons, but that doesn't seem to be the case. And I said we're going to jump so much. around. You know. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to touch on some year-end stuff. There has been some new announcements from the IRS on, guess what, the employee retention credit, and then <laughs> we'll remind some other things. But, but Annie, why don't you kick us off? You know, let's assume, for sake of argument, that most of us have just finished uh, this tax season. What are some things that we need to start thinking about or planning to do as we? Before you know it, we'll be heading sure. into a new year and a new tax season. Yeah, let's do a little bit of housekeeping, and then we'll hit on some of the the newer information coming out up by the IRS. Um, so, yeah, it, if it's end of tax season as we know it, um, again, if you are still cranking out returns, do remember that five-day perfection period for individuals and mm-hmm. 10-day perfection period for C-Corp. So that means if you e-file a tax return, it gets rejected you technically have the five-day or the 10-day to resubmit, and it will still be considered timely filed. Um, so, you know, everybody wants to leave the office when they've pressed that last e-file. Yep. Go. Um, take a couple of days off and a breather, and I know you deserve it, but just remember to have someone, if not yourself, um, check those e-file acknowledgments. You definitely don't want to miss one of those. And then, of course, we have past due returns. Everyone's got those clients who either have delinquent returns or need to go back and amend returns. So between now and the start of next tax season, that's a good time to sort of crank those out, you know, get get that client current, get paid for those services, and um, get ready for the next tax season. And it's also a good time, Andy, talk a little bit about which th- those are client-related things. And I guess one thing, mm-hmm. usually, well, not usually, every year the IRS shuts down e-filing for a while. We haven't got the dates of those yet. 
At least I haven't seen it if it's been announced. I haven't so seen it. There's going to be some of the time that, you know, even if you've got past due returns, you're not going to be able to, to file sitting them. still, yeah. So it's a good time to start doing some things in your office as well as you wrap up one year and head into the next. Talk a little bit about some things that you can do from a practice management standpoint between now and, and the first of the year. Yeah, Roger, I always recommend, um, whether it be right after April 15th deadline or fall busy season, that you do a couple of things in your office to, one, improve things that need to be improved, um, and two, have enough time to implement any changes. So performing staff reviews, um, I think it's always beneficial for you to speak with your staff, hear their pain points, what worked, what didn't work, um, how can we help them make a better next tax season. Um, and sometimes that means identifying, you know, where were the bottlenecks? Um, was it, Were you the bottleneck? That's always a question to ask. Um, what are your staff concerns? And, of course, your client concerns. So you could do something along the lines of a survey out to your clients. Again, if you have a larger office, perhaps a survey to the staff. Um, and then always look at your technology. I feel like technology is changing so rapidly. You know, if there's a something that you felt like you were missing or could have done better or more efficiently, consider looking into a type of technology that could maybe leverage that for you. Mm -hmm. um, so those are kind of the key points coming out of, of tax season. And then, of course, you start talking about pricing. So as you're looking at your client list, looking at your collections, making sure your ARs, you know, review, review your AR, sometimes you'll see where maybe you're pricing too low for certain clients. Maybe you need to look at your pricing structure before all of a sudden tax season is here again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I said, every tax season is unique to itself and, and prices continue to go up. So you need to look at what you price. I think your point about talking to staff is really important because yeah. some of the clients that might be your friends or you think are the easiest from the staff perspective might be some of the biggest drains on your resources. And so mm -hmm. it's good to get their opinion, uh, not base it solely on your interaction. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We, we also, and again, I know this seems hard if you just finished, but every year we have to renew our P-10s. That just opened. So, uh, but it did get cheaper. Yes, it did go down. Um, it went down about, I don't know, 10, 12 bucks or something. It's only 1974 or 75. 75, to, 1975. Uh, 1975. And, and this uh, is really interesting because... I guess it. I guess it was about a week ago. I'm trying to think. I was in Washington and they announced that it was open, and they were very quick to point out that of the 1975, the IRS gets eleven dollars of that, and the mm -hmm. 875 goes to the vendor who administers the <laughs> program because they actually got sued, or I don't know if they got sued or somebody took them to whatever the court, the court is. You take somebody over what you charge for P10s and. Um, that's why it went down is that there was too much fluff, if you will, in the price. So they were very quick to point out that the 1975, the IRS only got $11 of that. So, um, Well, and it is a very easy process, but yeah. it has to be done by the end of the year, by December 31st. So, you know, while you think you still have, you know, two full months, I guess, uh, of the year, um, remember it's anyone who prepares or substantially helps prepare any federal tax return or claim for refund um, for compensation. So a lot of people in your office may qualify, even if they're not, you know, what you're considering a tax preparer. Again, right. you're talking 20 bucks, you log in online, maybe five minutes, unless you're updating some of your information. 
Um, you submit it. I think there's two checkboxes, and, and one of them is really important. Um, one of them says that you certify that the tax prepare as a tax preparer that you are aware that you need a written data security plan. So right. I think this is year three for that, if I recall correctly. I think that's been on the application for the third year now. Yeah, the service is really, as they should, they're really taking data security um, mm -hmm. seriously and, and expect us to as well. Uh, you are going to have to check that box. Yep. Also, while you're there, go take a look at uh, a couple of things. You can look and see what your CPE credit hours are under yep. your P-10, and how many returns the IRS processed under your P-10 to see if, you know, somebody's got access to your P-10. So you're going to be there. Yeah. You might as well look while you're in there and, and kind of look at and those things. And check your EFIN, too, because right. your EFIN, it won't be exact. So, like, no. if you went in your software no. and it was 251 returns e-filed um, under that EFIN, it's not going to be completely exact. But it will be close, and you should make sure that it's it's close. Yeah, good point. I mean, we're not. You don't need to go count and say I did two hundred and thirty-eight, and this only says two hundred and thirty-five, and panic. But if yeah, you did no, yeah, two hundred and thirty-eight, yeah. and it <laughs> says you did seven hundred and thirty-eight, then you got something to worry about. That that might be an issue. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, while you're in there, you got to go in. Got to do it by the end of the year. Nineteen dollars seventy-five cents. Uh, Get in there, check your CPE, check your returns, and like you said, check the ERO, get get all that done. And then, if you have any time left, Annie, there's probably <laughs> still time for some tax planning with your clients, you know, and some general things. Anything you would suggest as we're oh, at the gosh. end of the year, anything particular? Because, you know, I guess we haven't had significant legislation outside of the Inflation Reduction Act? Not compared not compared to previous years. I mean, we've had the SECURE Act, the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, some of that starts in 2024. Most of it starts in 2024 and beyond. So for 2023, we're sort of still kind of in that limbo, I would say, of things not expiring yet <laughs> yeah. or set to expire. Um, I always think it's a good time of year to just touch base with your clients, especially if they're not monthly accounting clients and you only see them once a year. A simple phone call or email, hey, how are things going? How's the year looking? Anything new? Because once December 31st passes, it's really hard to do much tax planning at all. I mean, maybe some choices regarding depreciation or, or something like that, but it's not like you can really change a tax situation. So I always encourage you to talk about estimated tax payments and double check those W-2 withholdings, make sure that they've, they've paid in, um, that they're not, you know, looking down to a bunch of penalties and um, associated for underpayment penalties. Um, if they're close to itemizing, we always say look at bundling deductions. Um, we come close to the holiday year, bonuses, employee gifts, holiday parties, how are you going to, you know, structure that, uh, making charitable donations, that's always one. We hear a lot about harvesting capital losses. Um, so, you know, the, the typical things are still on the plate. Um, so, you know, take a minute, just reach out, touch base. You know, it, you got two months to go. It's better to at least throw it out there and see if anybody has something new Um and this leads me, because I always say it, tax organizers, 
those organizers really help clients who maybe don't even know what they're supposed to be telling you identify things that could affect their tax returns. So if you're new to tax organizers, I strongly recommend them if you've been using them. Um, Again, the yes and no questions are really good. Um, You know, training your clients to complete those is, is really, really important. Yeah, a couple of other points. Uh, we'll touch on this a little bit more later. It's a good time to review your engagement letter. Uh, mm-hmm. If you've changed anything in the services that you're providing, again, we'll come back to that later when we talk about something else. The only other thing this year, it, it kind of tweaked my brain when I saw something come out the other day. I mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act. Probably the biggest thing there that's going to impact your normal taxpayers if they went out and bought what they call a qualifying electric vehicle so you might want to ask them if they did, because mm-hmm. they may be. Uh, what I what I saw the other day is a way to basically give the credit to the dealer to reduce yep. the price. To of reduce the, car. the price. Now that yes. presumes the dealer knows if you're eligible, mm-hmm. which has something to do with your income. And I'm sure all the car salesmen out there are tax experts. Right. They're just going right, to tell right. you, hey, you know, this is going. But you don't want the client to expect the credit when they may have signed it over to the dealer. So good point. Take a little time if if they say they bought an electric vehicle and they're proud of that and they're looking for the credit to make sure that a they didn't sign it over to the dealer and if they did that they were actually eligible for it because, like I said, most car dealers I've dealt with are not what I would call tax experts. So No, and a lot of people try to clear the lots at the end of the year, so I wouldn't be surprised if you got some year-end deals on cars. Um, so it wouldn't be uncommon to see somebody go out and buy a car at that time of year. Right. It's also, when we get to year-end, this isn't necessarily income tax, but mm-hmm. uh, if you do any work for small businesses and they uh, look to you for filing 1099s or W-2s, I know we've talked about this. Annie, remind everybody what the mandate right. is this year, because it's different than what it was a year ago. It is. It has significantly decreased from 250 um, returns to 10, and that's 10 per client. Um, regardless of the form type. So you could do, you know, five 1099s and six W-2s and you're over the threshold. Right. Um, so we, we're strongly recommending that our office owners consider using a third party to prepare um, these forms just because why cherry pick client to client trying to figure out are they at eight, are they at nine, are they at 10, who's over, who's under, you know, is ADP filing it and you're filing some because it, it doesn't matter who submits it, it's the count is under that right business identification number. So, you know, take a look at that. There is, um, the IRS has a system called IRIS, I-R-I-S. I'm not even sure what it stands. Oh, yeah, I do. Information Return Intake System. There you go. Um, so the, <laughs> the IRS I've never has, gotten that one. <laughs> I had just typed it on another newsletter I was writing. It, so it popped in my mind. Um, but yes, the, the IRS does have a, a free way to e-file. You do need that transmitter control code called the TCC. I'm not going to lie. The IRS website is not the most user-friendly, should I say, but it is a way to file, meet the e-file mandate um, for free. Otherwise, you know, like I said, ADP, we like track 1099. Um, there's plenty of uh, providers out there. The most important thing is that you develop office procedures now so that come January, you're not scrambling to try to figure out what am I going to do? You know, what's the best process? You definitely don't want a client to fall through the cracks. Um, so just kind of consider your your business practice for this and make sure that you've got it all ready for the start of the year. Yeah. A couple of points. Uh 
The most important one is if we go back to remember when e-filing income tax returns first came, we all were hesitant about <laughs> it and wondered why now we wouldn't do it any other way. So correct. now that you're going to get into it, as you said, Annie, do it for everybody. Don't try to Just figure out, it. Oh, this one only has six, so I'm going to do it mm-hmm. this way, but this one has more than 10. Go ahead and, and put in the policy that you're going to electronically file for everybody. If you're mm-hmm. doing uh, write-up work for small businesses, look at the software that's where this information is being generated, where you're... Correct. And, and see, they may have processes. I know we use Thomson Reuters, and they've instituted a process they where have. it works very much like fi- e-filing a tax return. Mm-hmm. So it's gotten a little bit simpler in, in that product. So that's an alternative to the IRS or to track 1099 or something else. So take a few minutes... Um, Research your options and then figure out what's best for you and just plan on that's the way we do it for everybody. You don't want to get into where I'm counting 1099s, W-2s, calling ADP. How many W-2s are you Mm finding? Just do it for everybody and then you won't make a mistake. And you can start now, like for Track 1099, if you're in, let's just say, you know, your stuff's in QuickBooks or Zero or somewhere else, you can start moving the demographic data over. Now, you don't have to wait until January, so right. it's all there when it's time to go. So there, depending on what method you choose, there could be some steps that you can take now so that you save time later <laughs> yeah. when you're probably a little bit more busy. So, and, um, But it's important. Yeah, and it's also a good time. You mentioned pricing when it comes to tax returns. Now, oh, yeah. again, this is a – I don't know some, I know we charge uh, our clients at the end of the year for this kinds of stuff. We did it before this. Now you mm-hmm. have the perfect – uh, excuse for either beginning to charge or increasing what you charge because you are going to have to file these uh, electronically and that's going to, you know, track 1099 is not free. You know, most of these packages, yeah. if you go to them, are going to have a cost that should be the cost of the client. The mandate's on the client. You're providing a service to the client. So mm-hmm. uh, it's a good time to analyze the proper pricing structure for doing these sorts of things. Some people have five W-2s, some have 500. Some people have two 1099s, some have 200. So come up with a pricing structure. Again, you can blame it on the mandate because <laughs> that's this is the first year, but uh, take advantage of uh, the mandate to examine your processes, your pricing, and get your clients in line and Make your life and a little I, easier. I agree with you, Roger. It was at two fifty, and now it's down to ten. I think that's a signal that you know maybe next year or the year after it's just going to be mandatory across yeah. the board. And, and I, watch, I, I see it coming. Yeah, whatever system you choose, uh, mm-hmm. I would expect the payroll tax forms to be next. The nine forty ones, those sorts of things, yep. because the Most service is already talking about needing to, more people to do this. Mm-hmm. Well, they're going to talk for so long, they're just going to do like they did here. So you have to. So uh, yeah. try to find a solution will. that'll take care of all of it. And while you're at it, um, there, there's always a it's always a good time to have that discussion about are you treating this this worker as right. an independent contractor or an employee, and is that the right classification for that worker? And there's um, I, on the IRS website there's a chart that has different scenarios, you know, 
depending on control and, and dictating what they do and how they do it and when they work and all these different things. It's a great review. It hasn't been, I mean, it hasn't updated in I don't know how long, but this is always a good time to talk to your clients if maybe they have some of those workers that should be considered employees and they've been treating as independent contractors. Right. And one last tip, again, this is something we talked to our offices about. If it's your responsibility to do 1099s and W-2s, wherever that data is currently being stored, I'm sure you can print out some sort of list with names, addresses, and social security numbers or email Mm -hmm. it to your clients. Have them verify that before you do all these forms and send them out. And then you get 50 phone calls. My social security number is wrong. My address is wrong. My name is wrong. It's much easier to get that ahead of the game. Take care of that now so that when you complete the documents, you're comfortable that they're accurate. Because as I tell clients, it's easier to fix it before I send them all in. Because once they're in, now we're into amending, correcting, whatever. Mm -hmm. So take some time. Have your your clients at least validate that the information you have is accurate because if it comes up after that, you should charge them anyhow if you have to fix it, but you yeah, certainly but shouldn't still... have a discussion if uh, if you gave them the opportunity to fix it and then they didn't. Right, right. Hi, I'm Jeff Phillips, CEO of Pageant. We've been helping firm owners grow the right way for over 50 years by providing marketing, technology, and of course, tax support. It's like hiring another 20 people who help you run your firm, but for a tiny fraction of the cost. And if you like this podcast, remember that these are two of the national team leaders at Pageant that exist to support Pageant firm owners. So to learn more, visit pagetadvisors.com slash podcast or pagetadvisors.com slash podcast Now, let's get back to my colleagues, Roger and Annie, for the federal tax updates. Okay, let's go what the IRS has been talking about. So, Well, it wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't talk about the employee retention credits. That's right. So while you're wrapping up the end of tax season, what? What's happening with the employee retention credit? And it's not over, so this isn't the final word. No, it's not. But we'll tell you what we know so far. We've spoken about sort of the ERC mills coming in and and being aggressive and um, small business owners filing claims that maybe were inaccurate inaccurate and and possibly not eligible. Um, So we saw, I think it was the 14th of September, um, the IRS had breaking news. We're putting, we have a moratorium. We're not processing anymore. Sorry, we're not accepting any more ERC claims. Um, I think there was a backlog of maybe 600,000, if I recall, at the yeah. time um, that still needed to be processed. But they were just, the IRS was seeing so many fraudulent claims. They didn't, I, I feel like they were caught. They didn't know what to do and how to stop this. Like just, you know, the mills were just coming in faster than, than they could process or catch them or um, so they did place a moratorium, which is still in effect, and it right. will stay in effect through at least the end of the year. So right now, the IRS is processing any returns that were dated. I think it's the 14th September, of September. 14th was the date, right. So if you had, you know, if it was dated postmarked, then they will continue to process. They're doing it at a very slow rate. And some people are saying they're barely processing. So, you know, if you have a client who has a claim sitting over there, it may take some time. The goal is to reduce the fraud 
um, to stop to stop the the, the pain, I guess, um, right. associated with with these claims. Um, and then was it just last week we got additional information about okay, well now what? How right. how, how can you you know withdraw from it? So that's sort of where we stand as of today. Um, yeah, on when the nineteenth of October, I think they issued that. When they put in the moratorium, they made a couple of comments. They they were stopping it, as Annie pointed out, to kind of mm-hmm. try to get a handle on the amount of fraud that was in the system. I think I think they had hoped Congress might step in and end it, but they didn't. So they did what they could, which is a moratorium, which mm-hmm. we've been assured will be lifted the first of the year, somewhere around no exact date, around but somewhere then. around the first of the year. Uh, all that valid claims will get processed either slowly, as you said, in this uh, moratorium this time frame, time frame uh, mm-hmm. or once they remove it, may change it. But they had to get a a hold of it. But they said after mm-hmm. that, uh, after the moratorium was announced, that they would make two announcements in addition to that, one of which we'll talk about because it's been made. That mm-hmm. is how to withdraw a claim if you have a claim pending and because of the fraud, you've finally gone and talked to someone and been convinced that maybe you weren't right. supposed to get this. So we have some information on that. They also, uh, which we haven't, uh, as we record this at least, we haven't heard what to do if you've already got the money and then you've talked to somebody and they've said, well, you shouldn't have gotten it. And, oh, by the way, you probably gave a good chunk of that money to the mill, whoever prepared it. And But you want to give it back. You want to get right, if you will, with the IRS. Yeah. That, as of the time Annie and I are recording, we do not have that guidance yet. We hope and expect to get it relatively soon because a lot yeah. of people are going to sit back and kind of wait for that before they make a decision. But they did talk about the moratorium and the withdrawal. So let's talk a little bit about right. any, first of all, I, I, well, take a minute and kind of go back through the, the real challenge that, that we face. Remember, people may come to us to have their taxes done that we didn't do the employee retention credit. Right. They went to a mill or a third party um, who prepared the, the amended 941s for the credit Right. Maybe they're coming to you now saying, okay, well, I, this is what I've got. We need to amend the associated business returns and the related individual returns. And so tax practitioners are kind of stuck because if they don't agree of the credit that they qualified for the credit, they're not supposed to amend the returns. Right. So you got to start by making some attempt to judge the accuracy or the validity of the claim. So somebody comes right. to you and says, hey, Annie. Uh, I went to this mill and I got $500,000 in employee retention credit. You can't just jump into amending those 20 or 21 returns. You have to, first of all, make some determination as to whether or not you believe that $500,000 claim was valid. Because mm-hmm. what was the term they used? If you amend the return and it's not... You'll perpetuate the fraud. As the preparer, you have perpetuated the fraud. So you have to make right. some determination... And then it comes up, again, if it's legitimate and you have no problem, then amend the returns, move on, life is good. But if you have significant questions about it, now we look at, A, we can't amend the returns. We don't know yet how to pay it back. So 
we're really faced with the one option that we do have, which we'll now talk about, which is how to withdraw a claim if it meets the rules for that. So talk a little bit about which claims, first of all, can be withdrawn. Right. So uh, it was a news release that came along with a fact sheet, of course. Um, It was October 19th, so right when you were taking a breather after finishing tax (laughs) season, you've got this new information. So um, this release applies to employers who may have used the ERC claim with, you can use the ERC claim withdrawal process if all of what I say applies. Right. So you made a claim on an adjusted employment tax return. Well, that's the only place that you can. So right. if you sent in an, a 941X or associated form, um, if that adjusted return only related to ERC, so you didn't make any other changes for right. any other calculations, and you want to withdraw the entire amount so you can't say, well, we just calculated it a little wrong or there was this change and that change. It's it's all or nothing. You can't right. take a portion. You can't ask for some and leave the other. Um, and lastly, the IRS has not paid their claim or the IRS paid it, but the small business owner has not cashed it or deposited the refund right. check. So right now, th- those are the only small business owners that the current news release applies to. Like we said, we hope we get additional information. And they are saying that, you know, if a business willfully filed fraudulent claims, you know, withdrawing it is not going to prevent yeah. you from <laughs> criminal investigation yeah. or prosecution. Oh, if it hasn't been paid or yet. like that. It maybe. might be. You're better off to withdraw it than to leave it sitting there before, you, to leave it, for before sure. you get paid. But so, again, key point, you haven't received the money or at least you haven't cashed the check. Correct. So someone comes to you and it meets that uh, example. So or criteria. The yeah. criteria. So there's three scenarios. They haven't received the check yet. They have received the check. Or they're in the middle of being examined by an IRS person to determine audit. the accuracy. So walk through each of those. First of all, let's okay. just assume that the form's sitting somewhere in some building. No <laughs> check has been issued. How do I withdraw that claim? Right. So, like you said, you have not received a refund. You have not been notified that you have been, that you're currently under audit. If you would like to withdraw this a claim again in full, you make a copy of the adjusted the adjusted return, and in the t- left margin on the first page, you write withdrawn. So, not a very complex, complicated way of doing this. Simply write in the left margin on the page one withdraw. And then in the right margin on the page, you have the authorized person's name, signature, title, and date, as long, you know, with their signature. They're asking you to please fax. Um, of course, they've also given yeah, a mailing address. Yeah, there's a dedicated fax number. Yeah, which is probably the fastest <laughs> and easiest way. Um, if, you know, for some reason you can't fax, there is an address associated that you can also mail. So, I mean, it's just a copy, left side withdraw, right side Authorized persons with signature, title, name, date, da da da. So you you fax it on in. We have not heard how long it will take to process, or you know anything more than the steps that that right. you would take. If for some reason, so here's scenario number two. Let's say you have not received a refund, but you have been notified that your claim is under audit. So there's two things. One, I mean, if you if you have someone already assigned to the case, there's an examiner. Then you would communicate with that examiner. Um, work with them to withdraw the request directly through them since they're already assigned to the case. 
if you have been notified that you're under audit, but you don't have a specific examiner assigned to it, then you respond to the notice with a withdrawal request using the instructions in whatever the notice, you know, the notice that comes and said, if you disagree, this is how you respond. So that's scenario number two. And that's where it might get a little hairy if the examiner is talking to you about fraud and Mm -hmm. you say, well, you know what, then let's just withdraw it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's where I think you might have a little problem. If if you're already in exam, fraud seems mm -hmm. to be pretty prevalent. I'm not sure this is going to give you a get out of jail free card. No, but it's better than just yeah, walking I, I tried. Path. <laughs> I guarantee you I tried. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah. I but they've know. been they've made it clear that fraud, they're still gonna treat fraud like fraud. Yeah, fraud is fraud. And so then the third scenario is where you um you receive the refund and but you have not cashed it or deposited it. So you're still hanging on to Hold the money and the you'll check. you'll go through the same kind of process here. You'll make a copy of the amended return. You'll, you know, left margin gets withdraw, right margin gets the signature, the name, the the date, the title, but they're asking you not to fax it. Um, They're asking you to write void on the check and then put void in the endorsement section on the back of the check and include a note that says ERC withdrawal, basically saying, you know, I've decided to withdraw this. I don't qualify. Um, send copies of every, you know, make your own copies and send copies. And there's a mailing address. Um, I think it's in Cincinnati, um, where they're, where they're dedicating a group to, to, to go through these. Right. Yeah. Obviously you have to mail that because you've got to return the check. The check. So here's Um, what we know is going to happen. They didn't answer it, but I'm going to tell you what I think the answer is. So you, you, first of all, you haven't received a check yet. You're convinced you shouldn't, so you fax in a 941 with withdrawal on it, and the next day in the mail you get the check. So mm. uh, obviously they then didn't you're pro- following step number three. <laughs> <laughs> then I think you're, you know, what I would suggest again. They they haven't addressed this, though. You know, it's going to happen to somebody. Of course, uh, of course. I would go to the next, as you said, step three, but not just send in the form without some notice that you sent a withdrawal in prior to receiving the trek, just so uh, in hopes the that they put it together. But uh, you know yeah. that's going to happen. As soon as it's you fax it be in, perfect. a week later, the check's going to show up because we don't know where it is in the processing. Now, yeah. You're pretty and safe if you just sent it in a couple of months, or a couple of weeks ago that it's not processed yet. But if it's been sitting right. there for months... It's entirely possible the check's coming, and I would follow the second step three with a reference to you did step one. <laughs> but <laughs> it's it's it, it, you're right. It's going to get complicated. There's going to be scenarios that they didn't foresee. There's going to be you know miscommunication. Um, you know a fax didn't. I never got the fax. You know all this all this stuff will come. And it's going to take some time to kind of go through it. And and Roger, when the moratorium first came out, we had a lot of people saying, "Well, I have a legitimate claim. I, you know, I'm I'm not one that you know feels as though I went to a mill or I have a fraudulent claim or it's you know it's we have a legitimate claim. Why can't I send it in? And and it's not that you can't send it in. Um, it's just that it's not nothing's going to happen with it right, right now. It's going to go sit, I don't know, a warehouse for lack of a better place. But if something were to come out that says, okay, all 
applications or amended returns postmarked after the 14th, let's say, of September. Now you need to attach these three things. Now you need an, you know, something notarized. Now you X, Y, and Z. Well, then you've sent something, and now how are you going to retrieve it? It's just right. somewhere in a warehouse, and how do you correct it? So right now we're, we're telling or recommending our office owners, you know, if you have a client with a legitimate claim, the money's not going to run out. This is no. not a program that runs out of money. If you are legitimately qualified, you are due the ERC um, claim credits, you'll get it. Um, it might take longer than you than you like, but I would not send in additional claims now. Now you can work on them. This is you know do all the time consuming work of Hell, calculating yeah. wages, contorting right, the PPP right. loans, whatever you have to do. You can even prepare the nine forty one forms, the amended forms. Just have it ready. Just hold on to them until we see yeah. what what you have to do once the moratorium right. is listed. Yeah, and hopefully we'll, you know, like Roger said, we're still waiting for information about, well, what if I have cashed the money? What if I have paid a third party? What if I've spent all the money? You know, what how, you know, what's my time frame for repayment? How do I identify it as wanting to repay? So somewhere along the lines when we get informate more information on that, I do think that we'll get information on okay, claims that haven't been submitted yet. This is what you're looking at. How do you make it go faster? Maybe there's a better process. Maybe they want it by fa- you know, I don't I don't know, but um again the moratorium was the 14th of September and then the first breaking news on what to do and how to withdraw was nearly a month later. So, you know, I do I do think we'll get something before the end of the year, but that's just Yeah, it's it's a lot more complicated when you get into repayment because what you're trying mm-hmm. to do is create an incentive for people who were taken advantage of uh, to make them come forward uh, without condoning their behavior if it was reckless or fraud. Um, Mm -hmm. The reality is I think that last, the bucket we're waiting on has got more people in it than the withdrawal bucket. Yes, I agree. And I'm sort of afraid that the people, if we talk to them about withdrawal, are going to want to wait until they see what the repayment option is, <laughs> uh, just because yeah. you want to have all the Could facts. Could be more favorable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it may Never be know. that, could... you know, I'm better off repaying it after I get it than to withdraw it. So mm-hmm. I, I know there's a sense of urgency for the IRS to get this to us as soon as possible, because I do think, number one, it's going to impact, I believe, a lot more taxpayers than the withdrawal will. Uh, I do, too. And... S- we as practitioners need all of the information to communicate to these people if we want them to make a decision. You know, mm-hmm. we can determine whether you got the money or not. But if we say, well, here's how to withdraw it, and they say, well, what what if I get it and have to pay it back? What's that look like? If we can't answer that, unless they are just all- 100% assured that they made a mistake and they're just afraid of the IRS and they want out of it, they're probably going to want to wait until they see the repayment. That's just, sadly, it's human nature. So yeah, hopefully yeah. that'll come soon. And I think once we get to that, then I think we can get a better idea of when the moratorium is going to be lifted and what mm-hmm. changes, if any, are going to be required for claims once the moratorium is lifted. Because this one's a lot more complicated. There is a from being in meetings, there is a mm-hmm. sensitivity to the fact that big fees were paid. I and know. if people want to get sometimes 
come forward. Ten percent, twenty percent. Yeah, I mean twenty. I've, I mean, I've heard some exorbitant things. So I think they want to be sensitive to that, but I, you know. They've got legal restrictions. I mean, a lot of these things have to go not just through the IRS, mm-hmm. but through Justice it's Department, true. and all the lawyers have to bless it. Then you have to think about it from what's the impact it has on the the world out there that's getting this. And, and well, But the and reality if- is every day that passes from the day you got the money means you probably have less of it. I don't know too many of these people that just stuck yeah. the money around in a savings no. account. It's sitting there to give back. Right. And that's what that's what I was just about to say. I mean, if you if you take a step back, the whole purpose of the program was to, you know, get in there, help these small businesses, keep their doors open, keep their people, you know, working and and getting paid. I mean, the the goal of it was so it was so it was done so fast, but it was done with good purpose and good meaning. And unfortunately, you know. There are some bad actors, we say, some bad actors out there. Um, and people got taken advantage of, um, or maybe the system got taken advantage of, either way or both. Um, but, you know, it's unfortunate that this is where we've landed um, when it was, you know, came from a good place. It came yeah. from... No, it was, it was, it was, again, keep going, go back to how you felt back when the pandemic yeah. was at its height and... I'm sure we all did things that we wish we could have done differently, and if we had to do them over, we'd do them in differently. Hindsight, but yeah. Unfortunately, this was done in a hurry uh, because mm-hmm. we were all in a hurry to get money out to small businesses. The thing that scares me about the marketplace is because it took so long to get the money out, I'm sure businesses that had the ability, once they knew they were going to get, say, a half a million dollars in employee retention credit, Went to the bank and got a, a loan to bridge that, and then as soon as the money came, they uh, paid the loan off. So now they don't have the money anymore. So yeah, I mean, I, I it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard for businesses. I mean, and then to, the repayment program can't be so tough that it puts them out of business because it's like we, yeah. we were trying to give you money to keep you in business, and now we're taking it back from you, putting you out of business. It's just but if if you're not entitled to the money. You don't deserve it. Uh, you, you're, you owe it back, and you owe penalties mm-hmm. and interest. I, I expect at a minimum we're going to get penalties and interest breaks. I don't know what that I, means. I think so, too. But, I think you know, so too. there may be extended payment for some. You know, there may be terms. Who knows? But Payment plans. Yeah. None of it matters if you don't have the money to do it. And that's going to mm-hmm. be the, the harsh reality that we're going to have to deal with, though it won't be part of a plan is we have someone who comes to the realization they shouldn't have got the money. It's too late to withdraw it, and they don't Mm -hmm. have the money to pay it back under whatever this plan is. What is the next option for those folks? And and it's it's a sad situation that when you allow people to step in and take advantage of people, that some people are going to get harmed, and they're going to get harmed bad. So we're going to continue to monitor it. You know, we expect things to happen Hopefully quickly, I know that we've expressed the desire of the service that we need this as soon as possible. Because like I said, every day you step away from the check being sent, more than likely a sum of that money is gone. Because being it's, spent. Yep. it's gone somewhere. Um, yeah. But let's talk about one other thing that is scheduled to happen. Uh, again, and none of this is stuff we haven't talked about before. I know. But it's just getting, know, closer closer. getting closer and closer. closer. And we have, and this is really not an IRS issue, but it is a small business issue. So if you have Definitely. small businesses as clients, 
And this is, as we've said before, the one thing that applies to small business. There's not a small business exemption. It's actually targeted to small business. And that's the beneficial owner interest reporting requirement that is supposed to start January 1st. One. So (laughs) remind everybody what that is. Again, this is is, um, not the IRS. This has nothing to do with the IRS. This is FinCEN. So think FBAR, FinCEN, Form 114. This is just another extension of of them trying to prevent, um, you know, fraudulent um, investments and... and, Money laundering. Money laundering, et cetera. And and Roger's right. While it's been set to start in January of 2024 for quite some time now, um, we still do not have complete guidance. We don't even have a um, completed draft of the form. We know what some of the items are on the form, but we haven't actually seen the draft of the form. Um, Again, this is something that's going to affect nearly all small small business owners. It's something that needs to be done on the FinCEN website. Um, The website is now up. The um, actually they have revised it and added to it. There's a compliance guide as well as some FAQs out there. Um, but what it tell what it's asking for business owners to do is to report those who have beneficial ownership decision make think decision making. It can be um, a percentage of ownership, uh, majority ownership type thing, and you're supposed to put the information um, for that owner electronically into. A system, but the tricky part in the FinCEN um, right. database, the tricky part is for for businesses who have are already in business right now prior to January one. You have a whole year to complete this form. Right. You can do that anytime so, in twenty twenty four. That's right. If you start a business on or after January one, the current time frame is only thirty days. Thirty days is really fast for something that's brand new. Most small businesses have not even heard of it. We haven't seen the form. The information required is something that you're not going to have in your back pocket or in your your client file. Um, The penalties associated in general with FinCEN forms, and includes this, are steep. It's up to $10,000, up to $10,000 per claim and time in jail. Do I actually think that that's, that's not the point. The point is that we are getting close to a date that requires action and clear guidance is not ready yet. And what there's, did I miss? What there's did I miss? some talk on Capitol Hill. They recognize that most small businesses, uh, Annie, I think you were in a session where there was a question asked about how many people were aware of this. These, these are tax practitioners. What percentage right. of the audience <laughs> even knew about this? Five. Yeah. Maybe 10. I mean, very, and half very, of them were probably raising their hand because they didn't want to not. <laughs> yeah, they didn't want to look stupid. <laughs> um, they so. didn't want to look like they didn't know what they were what they were doing. But no, it, unfortunately, it's something that's been under the radar. Um, something that is just has not been communicated very well. There's a, a knowledge gap, so to say. Um, and and while I mentioned that 30 day period, even though if you were in business before January one. So let's say you have the full year to make that initial report. There's a little rule in there that says if anything changes, if let's say an owner, a person listed, a beneficial owner moves, gets a new driver's license, um, changes their name, gets married. All of that has to be updated within 30 days. Right. 
So now the, the logic behind that is starting to get skewed because you'd have to know stuff in real time that you're never going to know. Right. So. Yeah, we just no, don't have the kind of messy. working relationship to track these things. So the 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 couple of cautions here. Number one, we're hoping yep. Congress gives us some time given the lack of awareness. But Congress can barely function, much less have. But I we know. do have a new speaker. There's some discussion of some year-end tax bills now that we have a speaker. This could get tucked in there with a delay. But let's assume it doesn't. Okay. The question is, what role should we play? If any. In, if any, because I'm uh, not sure I want a part of it. Yeah. Certainly, if you are the kind, uh, if you're, as part of your practice, has been to facilitate people in starting an LLC. First of all, this rule applies to any business that is set up through their state. So if you form an LLC or you form an S-Corp or something like that. So if you set your company up in your state, you are covered by this. There's some exceptions, yep. but let's just keep it simple and say you're covered. A lot of practitioners I know, uh, I never did it, never wanted to do it, would help them set up those LLCs. Well, that puts the clock on for 30 days for you to file this form. And because you did that, you are going to be part of the disclosure. And so you, and you could stay be responsible for some liability. And if that client's not your client a year from now and they bring in a new owner and you're not engaged with them, you're still on the form. So who? So how do you get off the form if you get on it in the first place? Will your mm-hmm. E and O insurance cover this kind of activity? Does your we mentioned the engagement letters early? Do you even reference this in your oh, engagement letters? Right. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's a real challenge that the people who are most likely to be the ones the small business owner would turn to, which is us. I'm not sure we want to do it because I don't think we no. have the processes and procedures in place to know in real time when some of these things happen. And that 30-day yeah. clock has started ticking, whether you're a new business or an existing business who had a change. Yeah, I, and and the ramifications and just the logistics of making updates and changes and getting yourself off of it. And again, E&O insurance, that's a really good point. I, didn't even, I haven't even thought about that. But, you know, I... It's a shame that it takes all the way up until, I mean, we're like two months out and right. we still don't have clear guidance. You know, it's it puts us, it puts small, small business owners in a really bad place. Um, and talking to your client only, you know, I can go out there and I can say, this is coming, this is coming. And then they they say, okay, well, help me, help me do it. Make sure I'm doing it. And then we're saying, we don't have all the information to even help you yet. Well, I'm not <laughs> going to so do it because just, if I do it wrong, I'm going to get fined. I'm going yeah. So I'm not doing it. Here, here's what I'm telling people that ask me. Number one, get out of the setup of new companies. Yeah, leave that to attorneys. Let the attorneys opinion. deal with that. So mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about the startups. And right. given we have all of 24, don't get yep. in a hurry with the clients that you have. Tell them about it. Tell them what's coming. Talk to them. Yeah. Talk to them about it. But let's ride as much of 24 out as we can in hopes that we get postponement, delays, whatever the case may be. But if I don't file everybody's until December 31st of 2024, I'm still timely. But if I file that form January 1st of 2024, 
then I got to work for the rest of that year for the 30-day change. So we're telling our folks, get out of the formation business. You shouldn't have been there probably in the first place. And then talk to your clients about it, but wait into 2024 as long as you feel – Maybe we'll be having this what podcast this year and time next year saying now's the time. You have to now's do it. Well, there's no benefit in doing it early. No, no whatsoever. You don't, you don't get a discount. You don't win an award. There, there's You actually there's make really it worse no, on yourself. Right, because now your your clock starts ticking. So I, I'm with you, Roger. I think that's a great, great recommendation. Um, you know, come June, July or something and everything's, you know, clear cut and we know exactly what we're doing. And we know how to make the change and who, you know, all of the above. Whether our insurance we'll will pay for it. We've got time yeah. to look at our yeah. engagement letter. We've got to figure out how much to charge for this. Right. Because we have enough to do right now. Yeah. <laughs> we, we can, and, we can hold off on this one. You, first of all, you should charge for it because it's a service. Absolutely. But don't base it on how long it takes you to go into the FinCEN website and type in the names. You're accepting liability when you take on that responsibility that, that, again, if they get a new driver's license, they relocate, they bring in a new partner, somebody else takes over responsibilities Mm -hmm. that qualify. That's liability that you have to be paid to assume. So you need to to, uh, come up with a fairly, I'll call it aggressive pricing structure because this this is not a cheap mistake. No. And if you're listening to us right now and you're thinking, you know, I've heard about this, but I'm, I'm now I'm just confused and do this, don't do that. The website does have quite a bit of information. The, the compliance guide has visuals and flow charts and a whole set of glossary of terms and, and what, you know, what these things mean. And then there's a Q&A section that's more of like a quick cheat sheet. Um, take, just take a second read through it, maybe talk to some of your clients about it. Um, you want to make sure that they know that you are aware of it and that right. you're telling them, but taking quick action, like Roger said, I just don't think yeah, that's Take advantage of the time that we're given. And also, mm-hmm. and and please don't think that we've covered everything in this little discussion. No. We have some earlier podcasts when we dug a little deeper we into did. it. There's been some some guidance depending on the date of the podcast. There may have been some changes, mm-hmm. but... Um, Yes, it's a simple form to fill out the first time. It's not the first time that's the problem. It's yeah. it's the updating of it when things change because uh, they're just not it's almost real that, time. Yeah, and it's just days not is things like that real time. We we know about. I mean, even if we engage with our clients every month, do mm-hmm. you really worry about their driver's license renewal date or? Um, and someone told me that the system is if you put a form in with a date that the system will alert you to when the expiration like your date expiration is. date. But to your point, if they get married or move, the system isn't going to know that, so it can't alert no. you to everything. So no. it, it's it's. I understand the reasoning behind it. There's evidently a lot of money laundering done through small businesses, and the mm-hmm. IRS, I'm not the IRS, FinCEN is trying to get information, but. We don't have a lot of experience, and FinCEN doesn't seem to be as user-friendly as the IRS, which is no, hard to say. No, so. I was actually impressed with the compliance guide and the FAQs because yeah, they're trying. Know, in the past, what I've done have I, you know, what I've done with FinCEN has been pretty not user-friendly, let's say. Yeah. Um, just kind of dated, slow. But they've never tried to have, never been forced to have to implement something that impacted this many people. This many people. And... Just the education process, the implementation process, the monitoring process, all those things mm-hmm. are are 
something that I think they haven't had to deal with before. So hopefully Congress will step in, give us a delay, understanding what the goal is, what they're trying to prevent, and that, but find a workable solution that mm-hmm. – because uh, I'm afraid small businesses could find themselves just out in the cold and having to fend for themselves because we're not going to do it because we're not going to accept the liability. I've heard some yeah. attorneys aren't even willing to do it. So, Well, I have seen a lot more um, – news coverage, articles written, discussions. Um, I've gone to several conferences in the last couple of months. There is a lot more talk about it because it's getting so close, but I still feel like, you know, 5 10% of this large group I was sitting in still was not aware of what this was. Yeah. So, I mean, it's getting traction, but it's just not. Well, it's there's they're nowhere near it's not as well known as it needs to be for something like exactly. this, but exactly. it's getting better. Exactly. So there, you thought tax season was <laughs> over and there was nothing to worry about. Well, That's uh, right. sadly, well, sadly, in the sense that it's more for us to do, but, you know, it's kind of what keeps us in business is that people turn to us for this and they expect mm-hmm. us to have solutions. And uh, for the most part, we can we can solve them. This one's a little challenging because of yeah. a lot of unknown questions still to be answered. But, but we'll keep coming back and get telling you what we know. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we'll we've be got, back with some more on year-end planning, um, tax season, kickoffs probably, and of course we'll continue to keep you updated on anything that comes from as it relates to ERC or beneficial owner information reporting. Um, there's always something for us to talk about, yeah. Roger. And we've got some guests that are going to join us, some, oh, yeah. uh, some practitioners who will share their experiences to some people in the legal community who have mm-hmm. looked at some of these problems from a different perspective than we do. Mm-hmm. So we'll try to bring yeah. some some extra people. We might even bring somebody from the IRS in here. So you never That'd know. That would be cool. But uh, we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Hope you found it beneficial. Hope you will tell uh, others about this podcast. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. any, any last words? No, just hang in there. I know it feels like you should be given a reprieve for several weeks, but um, you know, stay productive. Uh, take some time for yourself, but stay productive, and, and we'll be back. We'll be back with another Federal Tax Update podcast soon. Thank you, Annie, for as always, for, for your wise advice, and thank you for listening, and we look My forward pleasure. to connecting again soon on another Federal Tax Update podcast. Bye, everyone. Thanks. All content from this podcast by Small Biz Pros Incorporated, DBA Paget Business Services, is intended for informational purposes only.